We are continuing with the reading of excerpts from the book Legendary Lake Pend Oreille by Jane Fritz and Friends, and read by Jane Fritz. Area 3, Greater Sandpoint, along the north shoreline to Sunnyside. Overview. North of downtown Sandpoint, Highway 95 goes to Schweitzer in Canada, and Highway 200, the Ponderay Scenic Byway, goes east to Montana. Nearly all the shoreline from Sandpoint to Sunnyside is privately owned. Access to the lake is found on the Sunnyside Peninsula, a few miles east of the small communities of Ponderay and Kootenai. Hawkins Point is Sunnyside's primary access site, just to the west of the Pack River Flats. Around Kootenai Point is Odin Bay, popular with sailors who triangulate the lake from Sandpoint City Beach to Sunnyside and across the lake to Bottle Bay. The often calm, shallow water between Odin Bay and Hawkins Point is ideal for kayaking and canoeing. Paddling among tiny, unnamed islands just offshore of Sunnyside Peninsula is a perfect way to spend a summer afternoon. You'll find a handcrafted wooden sea serpent and a buoy that is a stone version of a sandcastle, a generous tie-up for your paddle craft, so you can take a quick swim. Fisherman Island is the largest of this cluster of small islands and a destination for paddlers to watch for nesting bald eagles. You can't camp on the islands, but a paddle under a full summer moon, starting from Hawkins Point, is spectacular. Good Neighbor Trail Ponderay Bay Trail, a pedestrian waterfront trail, is a little bit of heaven along Lake Ponderay between downtown Sandpoint and the city of Ponderay. It's hard to believe, but not that many years ago, it was a tangle of vegetation and junk, known as bum jungle. I never went down there, but could easily imagine the makeshift camps of transients waiting to hop the next train. In the early 1990s, one of the landowners, the Ross Hall family, hired Leo Addison to help them clear their part of the trail of trash and tree limbs. Today, from the Sandpoint Water Treatment Plant to the end of the Hall family property, nearly one and a half miles, the public can walk, bike, or cross-country ski. This splendid bit of urban wildness is a great stress reliever during your lunch hour or as a long walk after work with your dog. It is policed by a whole network of friends and is an example of old-fashioned good neighborliness. How lucky we all are. One fall day, Wade Jones and his son Cameron came out to help Leo work on the trail. During work breaks, they watched a pileated woodpecker enjoy an insect meal at the base of an old tree on the forested side of the trail. They gazed out across Ponderay Bay and the lake to see spectacular sun rays shining over the Green Monarch Mountains, the kind of view that once only a few hobos enjoyed. Wade walks the trail an average of 275 days a year and regularly sees waterfowl and other wildlife, swans, geese, bald eagles, moose, deer, beaver, and otter. Over the years, he's also picked up hundreds of golf balls. 
Although the halls have been generous in providing formal access through their property, other landowners have offered informal access. Some people tend to think that Black Rock is public access because there is a dock and a picnic bench there, but it's actually private property. Those who do use the trail with permission must mind the signage that identifies areas not open to the public. However, there is a grander vision for this area, the seeds of which were planted decades ago by the halls and other landowners. As Sandpoint and Ponderay continue to develop, this undeveloped waterfront between the two towns should be permanently protected. A committee to begin studying and negotiating at least the pedestrian trail with landowners was formed after the city of Sandpoint acquired 600 feet of waterfront just south of the old Humbird lumber mill site adjacent to the city water treatment plant. The demand and support for the Ponderay Bay Trail is growing, thanks in part to the work of Friends of the Ponderay Bay Trail. With waterfront property values so high, a variety of reasons exist for the stakeholders to want to protect this priceless gem, but I like this rationale best. Because your soul and my soul need to be refreshed, Ross Hall Jr., the son of the late renowned photographer, says, we expect to enjoy it in perpetuity, but it'll take some work. Lore along the shore, smelting at Black Rock. Two miles north along the shoreline from Sandpoint City Beach is the site where the Panhandle Smelting and Refining Company operated in the early 1900s. The company received ore from several lake locations by steamboat, and it was processed in the smelter here. Black Rock, which remains at the water's edge, was the smelting company's slag pile. With the increasing productivity of mining around the lake, the company established the town of Panhandle in 1905. It became a supply point for many of the small mining communities around the lake. The name eventually was changed and the village incorporated in 1968 as the city of Ponderay. Ponder Point is a relatively recent name given to the point of land forming the northern edge of Kootenai Bay. Fish Tales, the Tolbums, Fishing Buddies. A sign hangs on the wall of Ward Tolbum's art gallery in downtown Sandpoint that says, Fish Stories Told Here. Boy, was I lucky enough to catch some real whoppers the day I stopped by. Ward's dad, Stuart Tolbum, came here from Sweden in 1915 and was a good role model for northern Idaho adventuring especially when it came to fish. Even though I was looking for summertime stories, I just can't resist sharing the one about his dad ice fishing off Contest Point. It was a late winter day, and he stayed out too long. The waves became swells and changed conditions so quickly that he had to jump from one melting ice block to another to get back to town. See what I mean? Thankfully, Ward's boyhood wasn't quite as breathtaking as that. But boys will be boys, and from about nine years old through high school, 
he and his buddies fished any place that was in reach of their bikes as often as possible. They would cast off Contest Point, Sand Creek, the old Cedar Street Bridge, down the end of Main Street and over the railroad tracks to Berry Creek in springtime for brookies and from Chuck Slough for spawning suckers. They also fished from Sandpoint City Dock, the most popular fishing spot in town, located where the jetty next to the Windbag Marina is today. At City Dock, the boys would spend all day fishing when the kokanee were running in the spring. Some days they would only catch a few, but other times they would catch 150 or more, and occasionally a nice cutthroat trout. Or I could tell you about the time I hooked onto the Pondere Paddler off a city dock when I was fishing for kokanee, Temps Ward. And another fish story begins. We used to put a piece of corn on a hook and a weight. It would drop to the bottom to draw the fish in. If the kokanee weren't biting, you'd wait for whitefish. Every now and then you'd give it a jerk and see if you had a fish on. And one time I gave it a jerk, and it was a solid stop. I jerked and jerked and couldn't get my hook loose from whatever it was snagged on, and finally decided I would have to cut my line. I tightened my drag and pulled as hard as I could to break my line, and whatever it was started coming up to the surface. I raised it three, four feet off the bottom, slowly and gradually, and all of a sudden there were three big surges as the thing pulled away and my hook came out straight. Whatever I hooked onto nonchalantly swam away undisturbed. Obviously it was very, very big, says Ward, who was 15 years old at the time. Age has mellowed Ward. He no longer swims much at City Beach. The water is too cold and wet, he claims. Nowadays, he is a watercolor artist and paints fish, as well as birds and other wildlife. With his hallmark incredible detail and beauty, he paints some of the least colorful and least painted fish in Lake Ponderay, lake trout or mackinaw, and bull trout. His original paintings are rarer than hen's teeth, which is the reason he named his art gallery and frame shop, Hen's Tooth Studio but Ward still loves to go fishing. Today, his favorite fishing buddy is his grown-up married daughter, Delcy Hohen. Ward says, for years she wouldn't be caught dead with me, as a teenager mostly. Now the contrast is so nice and rewarding that it's just a very pleasant thing. They've been fishing together now for several years. As for Delcy, she loves the time on the lake angling with her dad. She's always up for it. I don't feel at home unless I'm by the water, she says. I have to be around this lake. Since her husband, Josh, is not big on the outdoors, she comes back to Sandpoint at least once a week from Coeur d'Alene, where they live, to help her dad at the shop, see her family, and depending on the weather and if the fish are biting, go fishing. As a kid, Ward Tolbum remembers going out with his dad, and fishing for cutthroat and rainbow trout in Kootenai Bay. Now he and Delcy, with her little dog Bunny, go there and fish for smallmouth bass from Ward's 14-foot aluminum boat. 
It's out on the lake, and it's gorgeous, says Delcy, even when it's wet, cold, and windy, like the time a storm came up and they had to motor up Boyer's Slough and take shelter under a bridge and got totally soaked. Looks like this fish storytelling business has become a family tradition. As for the changing environment of Lake Pondere, Delcy worries about that a lot. Some people don't even want you fishing in front of their homes and docks. It's sad. She feels the whole ambience of the area is changing and wants to see more areas around the lake protected for public access. As for Ward, I'd like to see it like it was when I was a kid, he says. My dad probably felt the same way. Wildlife Viewing, Mergansers on a Log During summer quiet along the lake shoreline, where the fishing is good, you are apt to find a driftwood log with young auburn-headed common mergansers bunched so tightly together that they look like bristles on a brush. It's hard to count them, even with binoculars. Sixteen? No, seventeen, I think. There are also two adult females resting together a little farther up on the log. Are they the mothers of this large brood, or babysitters while the bird's parents are out on the lake fishing for food? The juvenile merganser's ivory breasts, when facing the golden sun of early morning or late afternoon, turn the color of creamery butter tailored into a gray-brown suit of speckled plumage. Then there's that crest of reddish-brown feathers that sweeps back like a wild head of hair. Occasionally, when a bird falls off the log or is pushed accidentally by a sibling, the youngster will literally leap out of the water and use its orange feet to snag the log and pull itself back up. Sometimes that sharp, fish-eating beak can help with the process. A sandpiper, a shorebird with a nest nearby, swoops past, scolding the birds. One of the juveniles tries to swipe at the small bird with its sharp beak, missing it. The adult birds are patient with all the activity below them, and they say little. But they're squawking for more than a few of the youngsters on the crowded log as the birds preen one another, stretching and wrapping their long necks around the body of another. Once the merganser adults have sunned long enough, maybe 15 to 20 minutes, they'll slip silently back into the water, and the entire brood will immediately follow, jumping down in a series of smooth plops to quietly paddle after them in the single file on their watery march to the next stop. Now it's easy to count them. Yes, there are 17 juveniles. Not all of a young merganser's watery life is so regimented, however. They enjoy playing tag in their nursery area, chasing one another this direction and that, literally running across the water's surface like a schoolyard full of children during recess. Whether they're fishing, frolicking, or playing follow the leader, mergansers are a native species of waterfowl on Lake Pondere that are a joy to watch. Anecdota, the tie that binds. Note, in the time between writing the story and production of this book, Dale Selly passed away. 
he was highly respected for his knowledge of local history. In their boyhood, Dale Sully and his cousin Will Hawkins would blaze a long trail through late winter snow from their family homestead at Sunnyside to an overlook high above Fisherman Island. Their mission was to catch a spectacular view of Lake Ponderay toward Sandpoint. Along the way, riding stick horses, they would joust at tall stalks of mullen plants with imaginary swords. Some days they would dress up as Indians for the adventure. As Dale tells it, we never sat still. We roamed those hills all the time, up and down, up and down. Today Dale is a grandfather and Will has passed on. Although they no longer own all the land they once did, many members of the Hawkins clan still call Sunnyside home. It is one of the few places on the lake where you'll still find family so strongly connected to place. John George Hawkins, Dale's great-grandfather, acquired the land in 1884 after helping to build the long wooden railroad trestle over the Pack River Bay. Today, the former pasture land floods and recedes with the operation of the Albany Falls Dam. Known as the Pack River Flats, its rocky shoreline is excellent for bass fishing in summer, and in spring and fall, the muddy river delta is a paradise for migrating waterfowl. In 1943, Dalton Hawkins took over the care of the Sunnyside homestead and deeded parcels to extended family members, and the Hawkins family donated 20 acres of lakefront and 40 acres of woodlot to the state of Idaho. Now anyone can freely share in what's known as Hawkins Point and Sunnyside Access, two of the three public access sites on the peninsula. If your family enjoys swimming there on the weekends, or if you're one of the kayakers who paddle from here to Fisherman Island, be grateful to the Hawkins family. Please show respect as any guest would. According to historic newspaper clippings, Sunnyside's formerly all-private shoreline was one of the most popular swimming areas on Lake Ponderay. However, today only a few landowners continue to welcome visitors to enjoy their lake frontage, requesting that visitors simply care for and treat it well. It's a rare privilege these days, Dale admits. Fisherman Island, managed by Idaho Fish and Game, used to allow camping. But too many people abuse the privilege, and so it is now only a day-use area. It is Lake Ponderay that makes the Hawkins family ties to Sunnyside especially strong. Beach parties over the years involving family members favored campfire sing-alongs to entertain the children and storytelling that went very late into the night. Because of its southern exposure, the weather at Sunnyside is often mild and the winds are typically calm. So canoeing in the moonlight remains a long-standing romantic family tradition, Dale says. But it's the clarity of the lake that Dale will never forget. Back in the 1950s, the water was crystal clear, the rocky bottom was squeaky clean, and you could see 20 to 30 feet down. In those days, the kids would play pantomimes 
and other guessing games underwater. Dale Selly expects that the days of a pristine lake will likely only live on in memory. However, if visitors and new landowners were to imagine a life of such pure watery magic, who knows what might happen. Here is a poem that Dale Selly wrote in 1954 at the age of 14. The Sunnyside Kids We live at Sunnyside, my cousin and I. If you come our way, don't pass us by. My name is Dale. His name is Will. If you come looking for us, we live on the hill. The road is steep and you may get stuck. Don't let that scare you. We wish you luck. In the summer we swim, in the winter we ski. We like all people. We're happy and free. Here, as anywhere, we have sickness and health. But in the long run, it's a country of wealth. The wealth is not money, but things just as good. We feel the fullness of life up here in the woods. Full Moon Paddlers by Gary Hasler Lake Ponderay is nearly twice as deep as Scotland's famous Loch Ness and rumored to be home to a lake monster that rivals Nessie. Nevertheless, knowledge of this creature, called the Ponderay Paddler, didn't keep me from joining a local kayak tour for a full moon paddle. When dealing with a lake monster, you don't have to paddle faster than the creature, just faster than the person next to you. Since I am a novice paddler, I studied a book on kayaking prior to the trip. Kayak strokes take less effort than one would think. In the basic forward stroke, the top hand pushes forward while the bottom hand guides the paddle, lightly gripping it. The author compared a paddle stroke, called a sculling brace, to spreading peanut butter on bread and explained how to make a wet exit. Learning how to escape a capsized boat is always valuable to know. On the night of the full moon, we met at dusk at Hawkins Point on Sunnyside to kayak to Fisherman Island and back. The touring company provided all the necessary equipment. For astronauts, takeoffs and landings are considered the most dangerous. It's much the same for novice kayakers. Most dumpings happen getting in or out of the boat, said our guide. He didn't mention attack by lake monsters, but since that occurrence is rarer than a blue moon, I wasn't worried. Twelve boats launched from shore without incident. Paddlers included myself and another newspaper man, a photographer and his wife, a family of four with young children, a filmmaker from California, and a sprinkling of young women, as every monster film requires. Fully mustered, we paddled out to watch for the moonrise above the Cabinet Mountains. Some of us were cruising along smoothly. Others struggled with the proper paddling form, only to be corrected by the gentle coaching of our guide. All of a sudden, the moon arose from behind the ridgeline, casting a ribbon of sparkling light across the water. We saw the moon as we had never seen it before. Words failed to describe the beauty of the moment. 
photos were insufficient. To experience such a night truly requires being there, yet the paddle was just beginning. As we kayaked out into open water toward Fisherman Island, each kayaker switched on a white strobe strapped to their person. We looked like a swarm of fireflies. Those lights are great. You can track the advance of the lake monster by watching them go out one by one, I remarked to one guide who chuckled heartily. At Fisherman Island, I coasted smoothly to land ashore and enjoyed the satisfaction of reaching our destination under my own power. Why did we come down here? asked the little girl who had stayed in her boat instead of exploring the island. So we can paddle back into the moon, a guide calmly replied. The rest of us understood completely. The return to Hawkins Point was silent, except for a few exclamations of, I can't believe how beautiful it is, and can't we just stay out here? We all took our time, paddling back, not wanting the journey to end. On shore, the most common remark was, I've got to do this again. It's a brilliant idea, even if lake monsters might be lurking about. Jane Fritz has been reading from her book, Legendary Lake Pondore, Idaho's Wilderness of Water, published in 2010 by Keoki Books of Sandpoint, Idaho. The Bookshelf is a production of Spokane Public Radio. With Vern Windham, I'm co-producer Nancy Roth.